0: Hello and welcome to the D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick. If you haven't already, make sure you go to directtoconsumer.co right now and subscribe free to our twice weekly newsletter. Now, today's podcast is a doozy as we chart the thousand percent year over year growth of the category defining snacking sensation Muddy Bites with founder and CEO Jared Steffes. For years, ice cream manufacturers have put delicious chocolate at the bottom of their sundae cones. For many people, this quickly became their favorite part. Unfortunately, no one made just that until now. Muddy Bites has stormed onto the scene, starting with a sold-out Kickstarter campaign, and hasn't slowed down since, growing 1,000% in its first full year of production. This podcast covers the key learning and insights from Jared's incredible growth journey, including the aha moment and the first steps he took to make Muddy Bites real, what it was like hand-rolling hundreds of thousands of Muddy Bites in the early days, why a systems and manufacturing investment changed the game and further built Muddy Bites moat, how a partnership with Fuck Jerry and other meme pages has skyrocketed their growth, why Amazon's internal team reached out to Muddy Bites when they went number one in the cookie category in just a few weeks. This podcast is chock full of velvety insights and delicately wrapped in a tiny Belgian waffle cone. I hope you find it as delicious as I did. Now on with the show.
1: TikTok's our biggest channel at 125,000 followers. It took us a little bit to figure out how to use TikTok. For us, it was figuring out when to post, and the type of video so like one time we would spend two days on a certain video editing and sound and getting this thing like looking really really good and we learned like those videos just didn't do good and then we'd literally take our iphone and then there was like one video that did five million views if you're looking to get better at tiktok just start posting it doesn't have to be a super high-end production it can just be something that you film in 20 seconds you literally have no idea what's ever going to go viral on tiktok it's just kind of a guessing game but just put more videos out there and seeing what works
0: Hey retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? That's probably because it does, and it shouldn't. Bluecore matches online shoppers with the products they'll buy next across channels like email, onsite, paid media, social, and SMS. With Bluecore's retail data and predictive intelligence, brands automate personalized content offers and recommendations for each individual shopper, enabling brands like Noble to increase conversions by 15% and drive a 46% increase in repeat buyers. Visit BlueCore.com to discover why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss chose BlueCore to automate and scale their multi-channel personalization. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Jared. Could you start with a rundown of your e-commerce journey starting Money Bites?
1: Yeah, so we started Muddy Bites back in like 2018 as kind of like an idea. And the idea was really like bottom part of Sunday cone. Everybody knows that bottom tip filled with chocolate, but nobody sells it. And so my wife was literally eating a Sunday cone at the time. She gave me the bottom part and I kind of literally sat there. It was kind of like a light bulb above my head. Like nobody's selling this. Why can't I? Immediately got home, went on the internet. I was like, you know, searching bottom part of Sunday cone, who's selling it, who's not and whatnot. And nobody was. And so I was like, okay, there might be an opportunity here. So from there, I hit up my partner, Tyler, who's my other co-founder, who had previous CPG experience in kind of food and retail, and I was like, hey, I've got this idea. What do you think? He's like, let's do it. And so from there, it was really us trying to figure out, okay, how do we make these cones? How do we distribute them? How do we sell them online? And so kind of our first stop, because I think at the time we were probably 17, 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there, you know, basically broke college kids. And so kind of our mentality from there was like, let's launch on Kickstarter, make sure we like the product, but do other people love the product? And so Kickstarter was really kind of two good avenues for us. Number one, fund our first production run. And then number two, make sure other people want the bottom part of a Sunday cone and not just us. And so that was kind of our kickstart with, was through Kickstarter. Did you sort of Google, you know, best ways to do Kickstarter? Did
0: you get in touch with certain people or did you just kind of enter it organically, fill it out and see how it did?
1: Um, honestly, we just like, we signed up and we started filling out kind of the information that they kind of help you kind of like a setup guide, so to say, and we just kind of did it, you know, we didn't reach out to, uh, you know, there's obviously some Kickstarter agencies that claim that they can help you so on and so forth. At the time, we just thought all that was kind of fluff, like they're not really going to help us. And, and so we just kind of tried on our own. And, you know, if we had to reduce over, we maybe would have tried an agency, but, you know, for us, it was kind of like, let's just get this thing up, see what happens and go from there. And how to do? So we set out to do $10,000. And again, this was back in 2019, January, 2019. we set out to do 10,000 we hit that within 48 hours and finished the campaign just under 16,000. And, and, you know, we could have gone probably higher, but like once we hit that goal, we're like, okay, let's stop spending money. Like, let's just save what we can. If we end up higher, great and move on kind of thing.
0: Amazing. You'd ha- yeah. If you're going with an agency, they'd want you to put it higher. That's for sure.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and like at the time, like that was literally that 10,000 bucks was like our capital. Like that was our, that we were going to use to fund the first production run and really get the thing off the ground. So we just didn't want to put more fuel in the fire, even though we probably should have, but you know, live and learn. Tell me about that first production run. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you're selling the bottom part of the Sunday cone and just for reference, like nobody in the entire world can actually make a waffle cone this small. It's actually physically, and, you know, scientifically impossible when you're talking about these big convectionary ovens. So we had to figure out, okay, one, how do I make a cone this small? But two, how do we do this at like a mass scale to where, you know, labor and production-wise make sense? And so from there, we literally, I think at the end of the summer, we had probably 50 employees in about a 2,000 square foot facility literally making these things by hand. You know, if I showed you a video, you would say it's very like low entrepreneurial, like down to the nitty gritty kind of like atmosphere. And like we just got down to work and we just literally made cones for it by hand. Was it just like actually rolling small tiny cones or was it taking large cones and cutting them? It was a little bit of both. Um, I can't get super nitty gritty into it, but like it was very labor intensive. And like Kickstarter days, we had thirty bites per bag and now we're about fourteen. Wow. So like it was almost How long a bag take. Um, honestly, I was just trying to think about this today, but you know, one single bag, it's like, you're literally physically making a cone, fill it with chocolate and then putting them into a bag, sealing the a bag. You know, one bag would take us probably a couple minutes, five minutes, maybe like it takes forever. And then like every order would have, you know, five, 10, 15 bags. So it's like, you finish one bag and you're like, crap, now I gotta do four more just to finish the order. So back to the beginning, you fit, you fit so you figured out this method and
0: Kickstarter had launched. And then what marketing efforts did you put into place in order to jump to a 2,000 square foot
1: facility and was it 15 employees? What were you doing on the marketing side? So I, I should back up. So like Kickstarter, we had probably 500 square foot facility, just basically a corner of a kitchen, essentially. And, you know, from there, you know, we spent, you know, anywhere from, I think it was four to eight months, just kind of R&D. How do we make these things faster? How do we get this to our backers? And, you know, once we shipped them off to the Kickstarter backers, they loved them. You know, we got nothing but positive feedback. We're like, okay, let's launch an online store and see what happens. And so November 4th of 2019, we launched our online store at MuddyBytes.com. That day, I think we did 25K in sales, and literally we had three employees. And I remember Tyler telling me that they literally sat there looking at like the Shopify dashboard, like live feed, and like all these orders were flying in. And they're just thinking, you know, crap, now we're going to make all these bites, and it's super labor intensive. (laughs) And so, like, we got to hire a ton of people. And so, we found a facility in Ames, Iowa that was about 2,200 square feet and you know we just wanted to hire in basically just college students looking for you know money to pay their tuition but also for like you know we're, Iowa State's kind of a party school so to say and so they wanted some beer money and we're like okay we'll take some you know we'll 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 get some more work in there so i think at one point we had probably close to 45 employees in there um and about a 2200 square foot between a day shift and a night shift just literally making bites and this is all D to C at this point, which is what makes this also
0: just a, such a cool story. This is, and this is mostly driven through Facebook ads.
1: Yeah. So it was strictly D to C, no Amazon of time, you know, no Walmart.com, just straight through our websites and everything was primarily dominant through Facebook and Instagram ads. And I think we we're pretty light at that time. And it was primarily just organic reach. I mean, we would go viral on Facebook at a snap of a finger just because like, you know, sure the branding and the you know, the product's really good, but like the thing that helps us sell is just like the idea of the bottom part of a Sunday cone. Like it kind of just sells itself and like once you explain what the product is, the light bulb goes off in your head and it's like, Oh my god, I want that. And so it really kind of makes us easy for us to sell
0: it, so to say. It sounds like the crack of candy of, of, uh, I can just see it at the movies as like the ultimate movie treat.
1: Exactly. And like, at that time we had kind of our old branding, we rebranded back in July of this year here in 2021. We used to have kind of this crappy yellow, as I called it, and kind of a brown. And now we've got some really nice branding associated to our product that kind of gives that sense of nostalgic feel from like an old ice cream parlor, eating like a Sunday cone and stuff like that. So it's we've come a long ways and really s- super excited. But you know, after we launched the online store, DDC was doing really good. So we're like, let's try retail. And so we launched about 200 retail stores between 7-Eleven and Hy-Vee here in the Midwest. That was in February of 2020. And then of course, March came around where COVID, you know, obviously hit the world in 2020. And we had like, I mean, Tyler and I were probably 1920 and we had 45 employees just a complete madhouse, so to say. And we're like, you know, COVID tier, we've got 40 employees in a 2200 square foot facility, like COVID here. like, what do we do? And so really for kind of a safety standard, because I mean, March, nobody knew what COVID was. And so we actually shut down for three months just as kind of like a safety thing. And, you know, our messaging on our site was like, Hey, we shut down for COVID. It was a safety thing for our team. If you want to support us? Please do. We love your support. We thank you a lot for it, but we're, you know, we don't know when your order is going to ship. And really for those three months, we still did, you know, 25 to 35 K a month and just organic sales, people willing to support us. And then when we opened back up three months later from March, so in June or so, Uh, We opened up with like 10 employees and slowly got back up to the 40 count and took us a couple months to get caught up in orders. But really from there, we were like, we're caught up. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this again.
0: It's just signal after signal that the audience is ready for this product.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, from there, it was like, how do we scale this further? And we got to the point where you can't really make these things by hand to really get to like the Walmarts of the world, the targets of the world and be profitable. And so we developed an internal process to really increase production by over 400% that allowed us to get to that level that we are here today to where we're starting to slowly expand into retail stores. And we launched an Amazon about three months ago. So we're really kind of getting to the full gear of what the brand was meant to be from day one. It gives you that
0: moat as well. You have such an amazing idea. The fact that they're so hard to make by conventional means is, is your moat. And then by you know building out this process, Uh, investing in in this side of things, you know, you're able to really solidify that mode, I imagine.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we obviously invested in some of our own internal manufacturing side of things, but it's also like, you know, we are essentially creating a new category. Um, One of the biggest questions we get from retailers is like, what category do you want to be in the store? Do you want to be in the cookies, the crackers, the cookies, like, where should you be? And we constantly keep asking ourselves. And honestly, every retailer we talk to is different. So, like, we're essentially creating a new product here. We're creating a new category, which is obviously good and bad. There's a lot of challenges within it. But, I mean, it's been a fun, wild journey, that's for sure. So, when you launched and
0: already we're just having probably high ROAS success in those great ROAS pre-IOS 14 days... Even with the packaging, which you didn't think was optimal at the time, what kind of ads were working in the early days versus I want to get into what kind of ads are working now? Like in the beginning, was it just more strict sort of product shots and sort of, you know, simple, classic e-commerce stuff?
1: Yes. I mean, early days, it was like, here's our bag. Here's the bites. Go to our website. Like it was very cut and dry for us. And what we learned really from day one is, you know, if you say muddy bites, you're like, you know, what is that? you know, it doesn't really tell you what the product is. And so that was part of our thing with like our rebrand is like, how do we make it kind of tie back to the actual product? And so like with our ads, it was like, okay, so if we got somebody's attention span for three seconds, we got to let them know exactly what it is. And so a lot of times it'd be overlay text that says bottom part of a Sunday cone, picture the cone. And then our bags would be like sitting in the shop now. So like anything that we could do to quickly let them know what the product was, whether it was a really quick video or overlay text, It worked really, really well for us early. And then obviously, we send them to the page. The first thing that they saw, especially if you go to our site now, the first thing you see is the cone and it says bite sized waffle cones filled with chocolate. So, as soon as we could tell them exactly what it is, like the easier and more, you know, better driven those ads were for us. I was
0: curious is it more of a male audience or a female audience?
1: So, funny you say that. When we launched the brand, we thought we would be like dominantly male. Like, just a guy snack kind of thing. And then, you know, after time went on, you know, we look at GA stats and Shopify stats and so on and so forth. We're primarily women. And so one of the things that we're trying to find now is like, why are women buying it? Are they buying it for themselves? Are they buying it for the kids? Are they buying it for their spouses? Like what are they doing for that product? And that's some of the stuff that we've really dived deep into in the last really kind of two to three months, to be honest, is learning more about our audience and how we can target them better. That's super interesting. Let's talk about when you, so you hit the ability to
0: grow with your, you know, you were already growing with ads at ease. You you improved your scaling ability with your manufacturing process. Uh, let's talk about how the impact of Fuck Jerry.
1: Yeah, so we raised a little bit of money back in March of 2020 here. And part of that raise was helping us build kind of like an advisory. I don't want to say a board because we don't have a board, but just an advisory piece of our raise. And so part of that was bringing on the Fuck Jerry media team with Ben and Elliot and Guy. And so part of those guys, it was like, sure, we can use some of their assets to fuck Jerry and their audience and stuff like that. But they also own what do you mean the board game, which brought in some of that retail experience that we kind of wanted to. Granted, it's totally different categories, but they know the right people to get us there. But, you know, going back to the fuck Jerry, is like, FJ audience on Instagram. And honestly, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head right now, but I think it's 16 million plus. And so we kind of saw that as like brand awareness for us in one degree. We can get them to our website, tell them what it is, we can help them convert. And so we brought them on in March. We started planning like ways that we could start utilizing their audiences and, and, and stuff like that. And and I think we did a post in July, and that post in July did phenomenally well. It had almost a million likes on their post on their page. And what's nice about meme pages is once one big meme page posts it, the secondary meme pages with like a million, five million followers pick it up just free organically. So, you know, off that one post, we probably saw close to 50 to 75 million impressions on kind of just Instagram itself, which ultimately drove, you know, 100,000, 500,000 plus impressions to our site which brought in a ton of traffic and a ton of revenue that really kind of boosted us in really good and bad ways. And the reason why I say good and bad is number one, good obviously brought in a ton of new customers and sales and all that stuff, but bad was because we didn't have the inventory ready for all that volume. You know, within 72 hours, we had 20,000 plus orders flow through our website just instantly. And I mean, nobody's really prepared for that. Right. And so we didn't have inventory. We didn't have the systems in place Um, We didn't, we weren't even tracking inventory to be honest. Like those were some of the things that we were still like implementing. Literally the next week we're implementing inventory software. So like, it was just really weird timing. And so because of that post, we like learned to implement software to for inventory, for orders, for supply chain. And so it was really kind of a good and bad moment for us because now we're prepared for something like that again in the future.
0: Let me guess ab- about this post that went viral. I bet it was just the influencer like, you know, ever want to eat the bottom of an ice cream cone? Someone did it like was it was literally that simple. Just explaining again the key value prop of what you built.
1: Yeah, so I'm trying to pull it up just to um, make it easy to kind of show and explain. But literally, like the thing that we've learned with kind of meme pages and influencer marketing is like the more organic looking the post does for us, or like looks on the feed, like the better it does for us. The more we make it more of like a sponsory addy type thing, the worse it does. And so anything we can do to make it super organic, it works really really well for us. Like I'm trying to pull it up here on my Instagram here on my phone but like the post didn't even tag us. It didn't say anything about Muddy Bites. The photo literally just said, like it, the caption said X, Y, Z, and then it had three photos of our product. And that was literally it. We didn't have a link to our site. So essentially people are either A, going to Instagram and searching for us based on the photo from the logo, or they're Googling us and finding our site, which was like super organically played. And at this point, I, you're
0: still heavily D to C. Or up until the last little while, heavily D2C. Can you describe your sort of, at this point, your, your mix between D2C, Amazon, and retail?
1: Yeah. So we launched Amazon literally a week before FJ posted. And honestly, it was like the most perfect timing because it blew up our Amazon analytics so much. We grew from like, you know, 5,000 in grocery to under 50, which is Amazon has never seen before. We literally had their corporate offices calling us and emailing us, like, what in the world did you guys just do to jump that high? Um, which is really pretty crazy for us. You know, we went to number one in the cookie category, which is just insane in such a quick time with like less than 20 reviews. Like it was just bonkers. And so I think next year we're going to fly out to Seattle to meet some of the Amazon team. So like, it's just, it was crazy. And then, you know, like right now today, you know, right now we're filming, you know, we're filming this recording here in December of 2021. Right now I'd say we're probably 95% DTC in Amazon and then 5% retail, and retail is just mainly Foxtrats in the bigger locations or bigger cities, excuse me, and then kind of smaller Mon Pod type shops. However, next year in 2022, we've got some really big contracts that I can't share yet that I wish I could, but we'll be probably like 70% retail, 30% D2C and Amazon. And that's with us not slowing down any of our D2C and Amazon efforts. It's just we're expanding that hard in the retail side of things to where. You know now we're in maybe three hundred to four hundred doors. Next year, we're hoping to be in about fifteen to twenty thousand doors. So we're gonna have a really, really big jump here.
0: Can you just talk a little bit about the way you see your growth trajectory at a very high level, like where you're aiming to be in the next three years?
1: Yeah, so I mean, you know, even like from 2019 to 2020, you know, we grew over a thousand percent year over year. And that was primarily just because 2019 was Kickstarter and 2020 was really just kind of our first selling year. And, you know, 2021 to 2022, we'll see about a 300% increase. And then really from 2022 to 2023, we'll see probably close to 300 to 500% increase. I mean, it's just really really crazy growth, but like, we've got some really good advisors on our team that are allowing us to really do it efficiently. And, you know, obviously doing it in the smart way to where we're not burning cash. We're doing it profitably the best that we can. And so we've got a really good team built in place between our advisors and obviously our own internal team as well. Amazing. And so this is all from that first round that sort of like
0: launched things. That's been your sort of investment backing.
1: Have you taken other money? Have you like? I, yeah, no, we've uh, we have taken a little bit of money. Um, I won't say the exact amount, but you could find it. But like, you know, we've. I mean, left. I mean, every week we probably get asked by a different VC firm or a different firm, like, "Hey, if you guys are looking for money, like, let us know." So, like, even when we, we raise money, it only took us two weeks to complete the round, just because literally people are willing to give us cash because the product's so new, the category's so new. And so, you know, if we ever were to go raise money to really, really ramp this up for us to get more money, it's going to be fairly pretty simple and quick. I mean, we've got literally a Google sheet with probably 100 rows of firms and stuff that we've talked to. So, you know, we could scale this up really, really quick if we wanted to. Um, so, yeah. You mentioned Iowa. I wanted to mention
0: what are, what are the benefits of building a business in Iowa?
1: You know, I, um, I do meetings every week, and usually, you know, it's the icebreaker at the beginning of the call, it's like, where are you from? And I usually say Iowa, and nine out of ten times, it's like, what in the world are you in Iowa? Um, I was born and raised here, uh, went to a really small private Catholic school in a town of about 400 people, and after my sophomore year of high school, our, clo- our school actually closed because our town and school was so small. And we merged with a different private school about 30 minutes away, which is how I met my wife through the public school there. Um, but, you know, born and raised in Iowa, you know, I do travel to Florida, California, Chicago, like everywhere. And Iowa is number one, like cost of living is really cheap. Um, there's really good. I, you know, tax or government incentives for businesses that are launching here in Iowa, especially late here, especially with how much money is being flown around between governments and firms and all that stuff. So like for us, it just makes sense to not only have our warehouse, our warehouse, so our warehouse is actually is North Sioux City, South Dakota, which is literally right in the border of Iowa. But we learned South Dakota doesn't have corporate income taxes. So like the Midwest, there's a lot of little gems here that people just don't know about. The cost of living is cheap you can find buildings really cheap. Our our warehouse is about eight to 10,000 square feet and our rent is under 3000 bucks. And I've talked to many people, if they want to get that in California, it's going to cost them 15 to 20 grand. So like, it's just everything's so much cheaper in the Midwest. The only problem I do have is where I'm living. The actual biggest airport is about three hours away or smaller airports, about 90 minutes. Like if I want to go travel for business or whatever, it's like, I got to drive a to an airport, which, you know, I'm sure many other people have too, but you know, living in Iowa, is, it's really good for us, and yeah, we love it. It's great for Iowa.
0: I bet Iowa loves having you too, right? Like building this team, building this brand. Like it's, I bet like your ties with the state are quite good, or or, or the part that you live in, anyway.
1: You know, we're starting to. Um, we're all kind of remote now, so we're kind of all in different regions. So like, we're all starting to kind of pick up local stores that are, can carry us. And like, I live in a town that has five golf courses within a 10 minute drive. And so like, I'm trying to get in all these different golf courses and just create that brand awareness. And, you know, even on the golf course, it's like I hand bags out and I just create more relationships. And so like for an Iowa business to do something fun like this, it's really pretty unique. And like, even the other piece of that is, you know, we both graduated Tyler and I, we both graduated high school in Lamar's Iowa, which is the ice cream capital world where blue bunny is. So like we have connections to kind of not only ice cream world, but, you know, there's other connections around that because obviously Blue Boo Bunny knew, you know, waffle cones and all that stuff. So like we've got all these different connections just right here in Iowa that like if you told somebody, hey, move to Iowa, we could do something cool here. You would think that we're super crazy, but, you know, it's working out. Pretty unique. It Just just to have led with it. the tip of the spear is the bottom of the cone.
0: And it just seems like I bet everyone is approaching you. How is it h- helping on your retail journey? Are you
1: having the big dogs come to you in some cases? Yeah. So, you know, the biggest part of CPG is like, how do you get this thing in stores? And what's really nice about us so far is because we are kind of creating a new category and such a unique product is we're having retailers reach out to us. Like we had target category buyers literally fill out our contact form on our website. Same with Walmart, same with Costco. Like we literally have these big dogs coming to us, which is just pretty unheard of especially to get category buyers because otherwise you got to go through brokers and all these different email chains. It just, it turns into a complete logistical nightmare. And so, you know, obviously, if we can have these guys reach out to us, we can eliminate brokers, we can eliminate distribution centers, we can work directly with these retailers where we get more money, they get a better margin, and it's just kind of a win-win situation, which in turn allows us to expand into more retail stores a lot quicker than, you know, going through all these different brokers and all that stuff.
0: Okay, let's go back to your D2C ad mix a little bit. So uh, obviously uh, your influencer posts from these huge accounts, organic, have become a big part of your mix. Talk about your paid advertising uh, sort of today, what it looks like.
1: Yeah, so obviously here in 2021, um, you know, the whole privacy changes between Apple and Facebook and all that stuff has really rolled out to where, you know, some... DTC operators are like, you know, where do I put my money? And so we were kind of that same boat, you know, we were really, really primarily dominant Facebook and Instagram ads to start the year, like basically 100% of our budget. And then when, you know, iOS 15 and 14 or whatever rolled out, it's like, it was almost like hitting a brick wall. Like, what do we do now? And so we actually took some of that Facebook and Instagram ad budget, pulled it back, and we started throwing that money into like parody marketing between meme pages and influencers. And they're just testing different verticals of like campaigns. Instead of running, you know, a Facebook ad directly to our site, let's run into a landing page to join our email and go through top of funnel and stuff like that. So we've gotten really creative in terms of different marketing fronts. Um, You know, email marketing for us has been always been huge. We do 25 to 40% of our DTC revenue through email. And that's really just by setting up good flows, doing regular campaigns, switching those campaigns up. It's really been dominant for us. And uh, shout out to Sarah. She helps me a lot with that stuff.
0: Um, what's been the key for converting that social interest into an email address? Cause I think that's one of the big, that's one of the hardest problems, I think for brands out there, you're, again, you created this amazing product that has a perfect fit into fun culture. I think that probably helps a lot, but like, what's been your best advice for people that are trying to get social, uh, you know, traffic into an email?
1: Yeah. So You know, the first thing before TikTok really got popular, we tried Snapchat, and the thing that we learned with Snapchat, it was like thirteen to eighteen year old, primarily women, you know, kids basically, and so like for them to go and spend thirty to fifty bucks on snacks, like it's just not going to work out. And so we learned, okay, Snapchat's not the best vertical, and so we scaled back the Snapchat advertising to basically just being retargeting, and then obviously TikTok blew up. Which it could be anywhere from you know 15 year old to 60 year old now from what we've learned, and so for us to convert you know some of these younger audiences on social media to get them to either a give us their email or b purchase an order is really kind of following them or I shouldn't say follow them but just constantly kind of like being there so to say so you know if they see your ad on on TikTok or they see us post on TikTok they go to our website great now we're going to retarget them on Facebook. Um, our pop-ups do extremely well on our sites. We did a free giveaway that used to convert about 15%. It was literally for five bags a month, like one winner out of 30,000 plus injuries. One person is going to win five bags. Like your odds of winning that are so slim and we would get 15% option rates. And so really for us, like it got to the point to where if we can just drive a hundred thousand visitors to our site a month get 15 to 20,000 of them on our email, we can get a good chunk of those people to convert through our flows and campaigns and emails since we're already doing 20 to 40% of our revenue through there. It really made sense for our D2C kind of avenues of just getting people on our email list. And so, you know, pop-ups work for us. We, we just switched over to Attentive and those are converting really well to get both email and SMS. And so obviously now we're mixing an SMS campaigns so that all mix too. You mentioned uh,
0: during Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that the SMS was, I think I've heard this from a lot of the guests, actually, that this most recent year that SMS has been a big revelation for people. Uh, did you have a lot of success with that?
1: Yeah. So SMS did pretty well for us as well. I, I think we literally just had a call with our rep and I think we had, I think a 42X ROI on our whole kind of SMS billing or whatever that we did. And kind of our whole strategy with SMS is like, we don't want to be super salesy. Um, you know, we don't want to blast them every week. Hey, muddy bikes are for sale. Like come buy them now. And so we really do a pretty good job at being conversational with our SMS strategy of like, Hey, like happy Friday. We hope you have a great weekend. Like reply back with one thing you're going to do this weekend. And we would have support agents that are like, I'm playing baseball this weekend or golfing this weekend. It's like, whatever. And we always reply like, Hey, good luck. beat your buddies or whatever it is like being super conversational and fun because it built up that community. So that way when we would go and say like, Hey, we have a 10% off sale, those sale campaigns would convert like crazy for us. And so it really worked out really good for us to kind of make SMS like a conversational kind of platform for us. I wanted to ask, what does your marketing team look like at this point? Um, Honestly, we're a lean team of a total of 10 right now. Um, We do have a marketing agency that helps us with our paid search and paid social. And then between Sarah and I, we handle all of our email and SMS and then like our social team is Emma and Jessica. And then we've got four people in our warehouse and then it's just Tyler and I. So we're a pretty lean team. Do you handle uh, Amazon internally as well? Um, great question. So Amazon, we have a contractor, just an individual solo contractor that we work with that does a fantastic job for us. Um, Amazon is continually growing month over month for us. And we keep grabbing the categories there. So it's just a really good channel for us.
0: I was thinking about it when you mentioned just having the fact that you had it set up before the FJ post. And how smart that was because you want to be where customers are. It's an interesting case study with yours. Obviously, it was the right move to be there and to drive those sales. I wonder how many of them would have bounced from Amazon because they couldn't find anything like your product.
1: Yeah. I mean, even with like Amazon, for the longest time, I was like, I don't want to be in Amazon. We don't own that data. We can't get their email, so on and so forth. Like, I just don't want to do it. And and we finally got to the point where like, let's just try it. Let's give it like a three-month test. See how it does. And obviously, it worked out pretty well for us. And that's what I would say the same thing for brand owners that are kind of in that same boat is like Amazon's here to stay. Amazon is not going to go away. They're only going to get bigger and better. And if you're on the edge, just give them a shot for two to three months and do what you can. And even for us, when we launch an Amazon, Amazon does not do FBA, You know, Amazon Prime with chocolate during the summer. They don't want to deal with melting, whatever. So whenever somebody would order through Amazon, it would actually go through our warehouse and we would still fulfill it. However, in October, it switched over to where they now will carry chocolate just because it's going to the winter months. And so now we are FBA, so to say, and obviously nobody can really beat Amazon FBA anyway. So it's like win-win situation. So you have these incredible growth goals. Retail sounds like
0: you've got a lot of options there and a lot of people potentially coming to you for that. What's your vision for like the future of the marketing that's going to get you to, to these lofty heights?
1: Um, First is different flavors, right? So we ran milk chocolate for two years, just as a solo product. We never really had issues. And we started getting like product fatigue to where, Okay, we need to launch a new flavor, give people something new to try. So we launched dark chocolate. That drop went really, really well. Fast forward a few more months, we dropped white chocolate. And so whenever we do drops, we kind of do like, we're have it available for 48 hours. We ship out what we can, get feedback, we improve, and then we drop it officially. So like for us to kind of scale these numbers, get into more stores, number one is expanding the flavor, you know bracket or expansion. you know cookies and cream, peanut butter, so on and so forth. And like the other piece of that, step two is like different compounds. so putting like sea salt on on chocolate and stuff like that. And then like step three, the different verticals trying different cone flavors. So instead of like a vanilla waffle cone type cone, Try a chocolate waffle cone, try a strawberry chocolate cone to where we can do some really fun like Valentine's Day pink cone or red cone with like pink frosting, you know, whatever. Like we can get super creative with that because we own that manufacturing piece side of things where we can get really fun, really creative. And then like the whole other piece of that is different bag sizes. Like right now we would call it our original We'll eventually come out with like a smaller convenience, like a 7-Eleven type bag. And then, you know, eventually like a Costco family type bag. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things we can do just on flavors alone, but then obviously we've got the different bag sizes, mainly for retail side of things. You know, online, we won't really have different sizes, but yeah.
0: Nice. Okay. So that's on the product side. Now, what about on the growth marketing? What, what, are, you, what are you sort of planning on that side? What's really fueling that growth on the marketing side?
1: Um, really testing different, obviously, you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are going to be here for a while, you know, testing different verticals there. But on the other side of that is testing different things on like the TikTok, especially right now. Um, And along with that, influencers. You know, we we would send out product influencers on a very, very small level and they would always do really, really good. So like now for us, what we're testing over the next really quarter is like, okay, if we sent out, you know, 500 packages to influencers, what does that look like on an ROI basis for us? If we sent out 500 boxes and if they shared on their stories or posts so on and so forth, But the other side of that is, you know, FJ being kind of like a meme party page is like, okay, we've got FJ on our side, right? We didn't have to pay for that. And if we did, it would have costed us, you know, a lot of money. But what if we could do that on a smaller scale and go after pages that have a million to five million followers, pay them a thousand bucks or whatever it is, and see if we can replicate what we do with FJ on a smaller scale and get a really good ROI on that. So that's some of the verticals that we're testing. Like, I think. Even next week, we're trying some different stuff on pages. And so that's where some of that Facebook ad budget is going to some of these different kind of meme, kind of advertising sort of say. And, and that's what we used to do in my old e brand as well, is just testing kind of these meme or party pages, as I call them. Have you, have you thought of acquiring
0: any, this, I, I this is something I, often it is to be a distribution channel in your business, to own the audience in terms of content in, in different ways. So that opportunity, you know, with these small pages, I, you know, I feel like there is this opportunity to go to them and say like, Hey, I'll buy 51, you know, 50% of your business or 51% of this. And, and then sort of partner with them. Has that entered your, your frame of mind? It actually has
1: literally about three weeks ago. um, I brought it up to my social team of like, Hey, like instead of paying these guys thousand, two thousand bucks, like what if we just went out and bought 10 pages and obviously like, you know, we got to post regular content and we got to mix in our content like organically every so often. So it doesn't get like repetitive. And like, there's a lot of moving pieces with that. Like, you know, if we own five, 10 different pages and it's like, okay, we almost need a social team just for those pages and not really associated to money bites. Like we just need a team to manage those either it's content comments, so on and so forth. And then it's like, you know, if we own 10 pages, we can't post once a week because then it just gets super repetitive and the audience just knows what you're doing. We would have to drip our content, you know, once a quarter or whatever it is. And so like, then it's like, okay, does it make sense to spend, you know, 20 grand on a page, you know, and, and like, so it's just, there's a lot of moving pieces behind that, but we've definitely thought about it. And I think we're going to dive really deep in that here in Q1 of like, what does it look like if we went and got some pages and like the timelines and stuff of like that. And what's really nice about that is we've got the FJ team literally text away of like, Hey, we've got this idea. What do you think about it? Because they've been doing that for years. And so, you know, we can go to them and say, Hey, we've got an idea. What do you guys think? And they can say, go do it. Or they can shut us down right away and we'll know, really good validation of why. One of the questions we ask all the guests
0: is uh, if we were to give you a $50,000 grant to go towards the growth of your business, where would you put it and why?
1: Yeah. And I think it goes right after our last conversation of like investing in these meme and priority counts. I think, you know, if we had 50K right now, I'd go buy a few pages, whether it was two really good pages or six semi good pages. And like, use some of that money to not only go towards those pages, but like build like either like a VA team or some team to help manage those accounts and start mixing in our content to see how that can do for us in the long term. Because it's like Facebook and Instagram ad costs are only going to climb as we go here. And so we've got to figure out ways that we can kind of distribute that, not only, you know, advertising dollars, but how can we get more traffic to our site? How can we get more sales? And I think looking at some of those meme and party pages and influencers and stuff is a good route for us, especially with how like easy the product is. Like if we can tell people what it is it sells itself. And it's also, it's such a delightful product. You know, if that's your job
0: to be done in, you know, if you think about it is to delight people, you could be a meme page. You could have a meme page called muddy bites, memes or something that, you know what I mean? Like, because delight is what you're, what you're selling in a lot of ways. There's a lot of memes that delight people as well. So you could just brand it under yourself.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even on the whole meme thing, it's like a year ago, if you would have told me that we should post memes on our pages, I would have thought you were crazy. Like, I don't think it's gonna work. And then our social team was like, let's just try it, see what happens. And they did it and it started kicking butt. And so like all of our meme posts now get like 800 to like 2000 likes and every other post is like 200 to 400. So like, it's just this huge jump every time we post a meme account. And so for us, it's like it's a whole new kind of category and or not category, but like new approach that we can kind of go after. Budweiser has a chief meme officer, right? Like this
0: this is, this is a real thing. Do you run them as paid? Do you run your memes on your paid side of things as well?
1: So that's the other thing that we're going to be testing here in 2022 as well. You know, FJ posted really, really good. And we ran that as an ad and it had really good numbers. And like some of the comments would be like, Oh my God, I saw this on Instagram. Now I see it on Facebook. Like, you're following me, so to say. So like, there'd be some kind of like fun, kind of like nerdy comments like that, but it's like, it converts well. It does pretty well for us. So like, if we've got a good meme that works on our page, you know, testing our page first, great. Testing on a different meme account, great. And then we can throw it on on Facebook and help that, you know, bring our CPAs and all that stuff down. So it works pretty good. I want to just talk a little bit more about the brand because there's i think the rebrand is I, you know after
0: looking at your new brand uh from your old brand it's, it does seem like this incredible evolution you brought up the notion of, of having your little coney character on the bottom uh, and i wanted to ask like what how else do you use this uh what's what's the name of this coney character and uh how do you use him buddy the bite
1: buddy the bite um you know our, our when we first launched the brand we had kind of this i caught a crappy yellow kind of just milk chocolate and then you know, like a weird yellow. And it was just kind of a super weird brand. It was some weird font that was like super hard to read in a retail shop. And we're like, you know, if we really want to get to this, to where we want to be, we need to rebrand. If you guys go to our Instagram page, you know, at Muddy Bites and scroll way down a ways, you'll see the old branding. and you'll be like, wow, it's day and night. And so part of this whole rebrand was one, a clean logo. Number two, a good secondary kind of like nostalgic ice cream parlor type font. And then number three some like fun colors. So we got like a brand blue that's kind of, you know, brings you back to some of those ice cream parlor type vibes. We got some bright colors that kind of bring that vibe as well. But then part of that branding was introducing Buddy the Bite, which is kind of a waffle cone character. And just for like, if you're listening to get a picture, it's literally a waffle cone with legs and arms on it and a smiley face. And so it gives us kind of like this fun kind of personality character to the brand and we call him Buddy the Bite. And so we introduce him through emails. We introduce him through memes And so we're really kind of bringing them into the picture as like a brand as a self. And now we introduced um, Buddy the Bite plush toy through our website that you can literally buy Buddy the Bite as like a stuffed animal for like a little kid to cuddle with, or, you know, something to put on your desk that I mine's over here in, in the closet, but you know, we've, It's been a kind of a fun little product for us that worked really good as like an upsell or order bump for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I imagine. Uh, And it's funny, we just got some
0: Ebbets, you know, Ebbets Field flannels. They make uh, like old timey baseball hats but I just got one made for the D2C team and for some of the people that purchased our course. Uh, And I just think if you put Buddy on uh, an Ebbets Field flannels baseball hat, that could be a big seller for you as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like that's a whole other piece is we've got, obviously I'm wearing now, if you watch the video, I've got the Muddy Bites long sleeve t-shirt on here. But like merch is kind of one other thing that we're going to kind of look at doing like a merch drop that has like Buddy the Bite hoodie and hat and stuff like that and see how that converts. Like we're not trying to be a clothing brand, but if we could do like a fun drop here and there, I think it could, number one, AOV boost a little bit, new customers, and just kind of a fun thing that we could do from
0: time to time. Just new connections with the customer, really, right? And I think that you're, you're, you're yeah. doing it as drops is obviously the way to do it as well. Make it a limited edition thing, uh, drive the hype cycle around it, like it's got legs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like drops do really good for flavors. And, you know, Last Crumb is a great example of doing amazing drops. So it's like just finding ways that we can do kind of some fun, Flavor or merch drops, and you know, give it to the audience and build up some more of that community stuff. Finally, just a a little bit about TikTok. So I know you mentioned TikTok. You worked with
0: influencers on TikToks, but you also have a really strong presence yourself on TikTok. What has it taken to get to where you're at on TikTok?
1: Yeah, um, TikTok's our biggest channel at 125,000 followers. Um, And primarily, like early on, like it took us a little bit to figure out how to use TikTok. Like. I'm on it every day, like flipping through photos. But like, if you told me to use like a trending video, I have no idea what to use. And so like, I credit that to um, Jessica and Emma a ton because they built that up really, really well for us. But like for us, it was figuring out when to post, how to post and like the type of video. So like one time we would spend like two days on a certain video just from like editing and sound and like getting this thing, like looking really, really good. And we learned like those videos just didn't do good. And then we'd literally take our our iPhone, 15 million views. And so we got into this mentality of like, you know, let's just start posting every single day for a week, see how that does. And then like some of our advisors and stuff that we work with too, you know, they've got brands and they work with stuff too. And we got to the point where we did like one day we posted three times and two of those videos did, you know, okay. And then there was like one video that did like 5 million views. And it's just like, it's so crazy how the TikTok algorithm just randomly spits out a video and it does really, really well. And so like, not only for us, but like anybody that's listening, like if you're looking to get better at TikTok, just start posting. Like it doesn't have to be a super high end production. It can just literally be something that you film in 20 seconds, throw it out there because you literally have no idea what's ever going to go viral on TikTok. It's just kind of a guessing game But just put more videos out there and see what works.
0: Yeah, I, I we were talking about this previously, but Lumberland is this uh, brand that I follow. They literally just make old timey baseball bats that have been converted into beer mugs, but they just literally go up to uh, to staff members in their office and ask questions and just engage and just sort of have like make the people in the company who have agreed to do this, I guess, part of of that brand. And I, and I, as if you have the right
1: product, which again you do, something delightful, uh, that's an option as well. Yeah, and like. You know, there's a lot of things you can do in TikTok. You know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that you could do, and like for us and our manufacturing side of things, you know, we don't want to share that. But like, in all of our teams, remote, so like we can't do any like fun office-type stuff. But like, there's so many businesses that are showing some great behind-the-scenes of like building the website and like doing stuff like that and that really kind of like lets the audience really get like a step inside of the brand that really kind of gets them to connect deeper with you, which is ultimately what you want. You know, the deeper a customer can go with the brand, it's like an easier sell for the the brand to the customer. Across any channel. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it brings you down your acquisition costs. Like it's just a win-win-win. Oh,
0: on LinkedIn and they, they got, they got a cease and desist from Reese's peanut butter cups. Cause they launched a peanut butter product and it had their orange was too close to their orange. And they made a mini document. They made like a, a pretty slickly produced documentary about getting sued by Reese's, which I thought it's a really, you know,
1: I watched it and then I bought some, I bought some midday squares to support them, you know? Yeah. It's like, even with like cuts clothing, um, you know, I got a couple of those shirts. I, and so, like they have like a whole series that's like behind the brand of like building it and like stuff like that. So I think like those kind of documentaries of like building a brand not only good for like the founders to like get their name out there, so to say, for like brand recognition, but also obviously for the brand, to, like for consumers to like get to know like the people and the faces behind the brand of what they're buying. So it helps a lot.
0: And it's and it's the distinct advantage of D to C in the space of of bigger companies. And it, it really yeah, strikes at the core of what of what D C is, and uh, good Anya for doing it.
1: Yeah, and even with like the big corporations, like during Black Friday, every Monday, we did a small business Saturday email, and that was our best email we've done all year. So like anything you could do, and obviously, you know, don't, I mean, we are still technically a small business, but you know, as a, you know, like a Gymshark, they're not a small business, you know? So it's like, use that with a grain of salt, so to say, but like, you know, we've learned like text-based emails do so, so well. But anything you can do to like really connect deeper to a customer, one way or another, is just huge.
0: What are what are your ultimate goals with with the company? Do you uh, like do you want to become like the number one cookie product in the world? Like what's what's your what's your your top level goal?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I'd be lying if I was saying I want to make Muddy Bites for the next fifty years and make it a family business. Um, you know, obviously, you want to dominate the U.S., expand into international, and we don't want to do things too fast, too quickly. But, you know, long term, our goal is to, you know, build this to as big as we can, um, you know, make a really good product to give to customers, build a really good culture and team behind it, and then eventually, you know, exit at some point and then, you know, move on to the next thing and see what we can do from there.
0: I love it. I'm just trying to think of that other like covetous food thing that you really want. There was always a peanut on the top of a peanut butter my mom would get. My brother and I would fight over it. So Maybe I'll just release <laughs> a, a bunch of peanuts. That's it, it's It's only that one nut.
1: Right, don't that's exactly.
0: <laughs> don't, don't steal the idea jared uh, but if people want to get in touch with you uh what do you recommend I'll, obviously they can go to muddybites.com and i have just found out that these are available in canada through through this one retail connection uh so i'm going to secure the bag for my Let's daughter's secure the stocking. bag <laughs> i'm going to secure the bag for sure um but uh, if people want to get in touch with you follow your journey how do you recommend they do that
1: um honestly i'm the most active on on twitter um it's just at jared steffes and jared is spelled j-a-r-o-d which you don't see very too often and so you know i post on there you know i try to once a day at least but easier said than done but that's where i'm most active i try sharing behind the scenes and stuff like that so hit me up anytime
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast.
1: We'll see you next time.